Thank you, Bert. Great song. Could you turn your Bibles to 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16? And just an announcement. Uh, remember, we had the heavy lifting night after the service. We're, we're going to move all the stuff out of that part of the building into here. So, because Kurt's got somebody coming in to do the floors. I get that right? All right, good. Close enough. Close enough. You know, um, I was just thinking about um, Victoria hit, hit, a deer hit Victoria the other day. She's okay, but she got some damage to her guy. I was thinking of the story when I was in, living in Fall River, which was like not, not that far from the church, Bob's church and Grace Bible Church. So I'm driving home and uh, I live in this apartment complex and, and right in the entrance of my apartment complex, there's police and everywhere, all over the place. What's going on here? So I couldn't get in the entrance getting my, uh, to the apartment complex. So I get in there and, and there's a deer injured on the ground, he got hit. So I go up to him, I was like, oh. So I'm looking at the dead, he, cop goes up, he, he says, you want him? <laughs> I says, I don't, you gonna, you gonna put him down right now? He says, yeah. He says, what's up? He says, well, he says, really? Hmm, let me think about that, you know? And uh, then he goes, uh, I don't have a, a, you know, I can't, uh, he says, well, I got him hanging up in my refreezer at home, you know, he's that, whatever. But, because uh, I was a guy in Iowa who would have butchered it for me, he did that sort of, he used to butcher pigs and everything. And, uh, you know, the pistol in the head and everything. Oh, he was, he, he, this is guy in Iowa, he used to put away, people in the, in the round used to have them put away their animals instead of going to the animal, you know, the, the uh, veterinarian today. Well, he would just go take him for, it was like the mob, he'd take, a, take him for a walk, you know, give him like a, a cookie and everything, and in the back of the head when he wasn't, he's like the mob, you know. Take out the dog. Now they take him to the do the veterinarian, and they cost like an you know five hundred dollars to put the dog down or whatever. I'm exaggerating, but anyways, just uh, uh, I'm glad you're okay. And then uh, roll you back. I feel good. Good to see you. All right. Uh, so remember that after we all the all the all the the, the very uh, you know the well built guy like Clay. We're gonna have Clay. Is he gonna be helping? Because he's he'd be a good guy moving the stuff. He's he's not paying attention to me. All right. Let's take a moment to silent. He's a smart guy. Don't tell me he's like his father now. He can't hear? <laughs> All right. <laughs> Let's take a moment of silent prayers. Is that custom? We take a moment of silent prayer to examine ourselves to determine if we're in fellowship with God because any mental, verbal, or overt act of sin will cause us to lose fellowship with the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. But we restore that fellowship through the confession of sin. If we confess our sins to the Father, he, God, the Father, is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. In other words, he purifies us from each and every wrongdoing. We maintain that fellowship by obeying the Spirit who speaks to us through the scriptures which he's inspired. And that's when we're obeying the commands of Ephesians 5.18, to be filled with the Spirit in Colossians 3.16, to let the word of Christ richly dwell in our souls. So with that in mind, if there's anything that's bothering you, disturbing and distracting to you, do what 1 Peter 5.7 says, cast all your anxieties upon the Lord because he cares for you. So with our heads bowed and our eyes closed, let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day that you've given to us. We thank you for another day to study your word. We thank you for those who are serious students of the word of God, that love your word and honor your word, that are here tonight assembled, and those who might be listening to the recordings of this class at a later date through the various websites and podcasts and media platforms that you've given to us. 
Father, we thank you for your, the, your word. We thank you, Father, for uh, the work of the Holy Spirit and uh, inspiring the human authors of Scripture to put down in perfect accuracy your complete and connected thought to mankind. I just thank you, Father, for uh, the, the, the tremendous work of uh, men and women throughout the, uh, especially in, in recent uh, times, modern times, with all these modern translations and the great communities and scholars that uh, work on these translations that we have, like the NIV that we use here. Just thank you for them. And we're certainly uh, so blessed at this time of history in the church age, just to think that you know, 300 years ago, they, all they had was the Tyndale's translation of the King James. So we thank you, Father, for, the, for these wonderful translations and tra scholarship. And we know that uh, we have your word to, in our language, and we thank you for that. And I thank you for this study and in, uh, inspiration, the doctrine of inspiration, Father. Uh, we just thank you for uh, uh, the things that we'll be learning in this study to, tonight. And I pray you would bless us in this series on uh, the doctrine of inspiration. And I just pray it would uh, be a blessing to your people and it would uh, give them further assurance and confidence uh, in the scriptures and as uh, far as their own walk with you and also in, in helping others in the body of Christ that don't know these things. And, and also defending uh, the scriptures against uh, its enemies that are out there in the world, as you so uh, you well know. I pray that you would help me to bring forth your full counsel tonight with accuracy and clarity, reverence, respect, and power, and be sensitive to the Spirit's guidance and direction, following his guidance and direction so I can uh, provide for your children the necessary spiritual nourishment. And pray you would work mightily and powerfully through your people. Help them by the power of the Spirit to learn and understand and to concentrate and to make the proper application. And, uh, and as a result, uh, all of us would be able to continue to grow in the grace and knowledge of our great God and Savior, your Son, Jesus Christ, who is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And we uh, wait, uh, can't wait for the, uh, the day that he's ruling on this earth for a thousand years and we're his bride, Father. And so uh, we just thank you and praise you for taking us sinners and saving us by your, your grace through faith in your Son. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You should be at 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. We're continuing our study of the doctrine of inspiration, which goes into, uh, falls in line with canonicity in the sense it's uh, under the, uh, the, um, the classification of, uh, in theology of bibliology. As I mentioned on Sunday with our website, if you look at the, the, in our written library, the doctrine section, uh, it's broken up into various areas of systematic theology. So you have bibliology, the study of the Bible, Christology, the study of Christ, pneumatology, study of the spirit, and, uh, and eschatology, the study of the future things, and so forth. So uh, this particular study, along with canonicity, and also the one we're going to do after this doctrine of inspiration, the doctrine of inerrancy, and the history of the English Bible, falls under the category of bibliology, the study of the Bible. And uh, it's, uh, this is very important. Uh, I taught this series back in Marion, Iowa, oh, probably almost 10 years ago now. And uh, it's extremely important, uh, especially in the culture that we're living in. You know, I find that, uh, you know, uh, America is becoming more, as you all well know, more and more antagonistic uh, to the scriptures. Uh, you know, the media is not helping matters any. The media is proliferating lies out there about the Bible, which I've tried to address in this study with canonicity and now with inspiration. But uh, so we're in enemy territory, and, you know, that one of the things is Satan is trying to get us to doubt uh, the authority of Scripture, the, um, the sufficiency of Scripture, 
I find people that are more, they're more, they're, when it deals with anything in life, I, you know, I, I find a lot of people when they, like, you know, psychological problems, you know, uh, they'll, they'll run to the, the, the world and to a psychologist or, uh, uh, you know, uh, a, a psychiatrist, they'll run to them, but they won't run to God. And uh, I find that, uh, um, that uh, it's very disheartening, uh, disheartening to see. You know, it's like God's word is alive and powerful. It can change your life, as many as you know. It can take us worthless sinners and create and conform us in the image of Jesus Christ. And the Holy Spirit does that through the teaching of the Word of God. So uh, this is an extremely important subject. So tonight, uh, we well, last Wednesday, opening up matters. This is our second hour in the study. We just started it last week, going over a definition uh, of this particular uh, subject, defini definition of inspiration. Tonight we're going to go a little bit further after reviewing the, 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 the definition. We're going to be talking about revelation versus inspiration and the extent of inspiration. When we get to the extent of inspiration, we're going to be bringing up something they talk about in theology that you'll see it, uh, uh, theologians use, uh, the verbal plenary inspiration of the scriptures. And those words, verbal and plenary, Inspiration of the scriptures are very important because uh, we're gonna, I'm going to define it for you and so you understand what theologians mean by using this expression. So if somebody even uses it, you know, what you, uh, you, uh, you know what they're talking about. But what's behind that expression is even more important, verbal plenary inspiration. What's behind what means is absolutely essential, of course. And uh, you might have a different way of describing it, but uh, there's a lot of great men over the centuries uh, this is a pretty good way to describe it, uh, the verbal plenary ex uh, inspiration description. By the time we're done defining that, uh, at the end of this study, uh, you'll understand why they chose those terms. So hopefully you do. So anyways, you should be at 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. Again, Paul writes this at the end of his life. He's in the second Roman imprisonment, which results in his uh, uh, decapitation at the hands of Nero. It was approximately 67, 68 A.D., uh, uh, Paul's in the Mamertine dungeon. If you go to Rome, you can go to that place now. It's a terrible place. It wasn't like his first Roman imprisonment where he did the book that wrote Ephesians, uh, Philemon, Colossians, and Philippians, and he was under house arrest in Rome under his own, uh, under his own uh, uh, rented quarters. He could receive people. We know that from Acts chapter 28, the end of that book. So, but this is totally different. Now he's going to be executed. They got him. And Peter, Peter dies in this Neronian pers persecution as well, which all started actually, interestingly, where Nero actually set fire. He had some, uh, um, the, the off-scouring of society in Rome set, the set Rome on fire, and then he blamed it on the Christians. And this was common knowledge among the Roman citizens, so, and they, uh, they blamed it on the Christians, and everybody in Rome knew that. And uh, Nero wanted to set the, the city on fire to basically he's going to, he was a builder and he wanted like a lot of the, the Roman emperors they wanted to be reminded uh, remembered and so they would build monuments to themselves and build big you know uh, places uh, to uh, worship or whatnot so he was no different than the, the, his predecessors and so he he sets the, the city on fire then he blames the Christians and then he would have Christians uh, you know rounded up in the leaders like Paul and Peter they were rounded up and they were executed. And he used to famously uh, put, uh, uh, you know, uh, crucify, uh, uh, well, no, he would tie up uh, people and put, cover them with pitch and then set them on fire and say, and use these uh, Christians and say, behold the lights of the world and use them as his light for his, his, uh, his orgies and whatnot. 
So he was a, he was a crazy son of a gun. So he, he makes our president look like Mary Poppins and the ones prior to him. But uh, this is the context in which Paul's writing this. Is his last words to Timothy, who was his protege, and his, his, his really his right hand man in a lot of ways. So uh, we see that uh, uh, this is the context, uh, historical context, in which Paul says what he says in Second uh, Timothy. So it says in Second Timothy three sixteen, all Scripture is God breathed. Great translation. Pathéonoustos is the translation of God breathed. Uh, it's better than inspired because this is exactly what this word means. The scriptures were inspired. God breathed. So uh, God, all scripture is God breathed and is useful for teaching, for rebuking, correcting, training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Now, my translation of these exact same verses goes as follows. Each and every portion of Scripture does possess as an eternal spiritual truth the characteristic of being God-breathed. Consequently, it does possess as an eternal spiritual truth the characteristic of being useful for teaching, for conviction, for correction, for training, which is related to righteousness. And then it says in verse 17, the purpose of which is that the person belonging to God would possess the characteristic of being competent, specifically by equipping for every kind of action which is divine good and quality and character. Now, we left off with a definition of the doctrine of inspiration. My definition for it goes as follows. The doctrine of inspiration contends that God the Holy Spirit, the third member of the Trinity, supernaturally directed the human authors of Scripture that without destroying their individuality, their literary style, their personal interest and their vocabulary, God's complete and connected thought towards man was recorded with perfect accuracy in the original languages of Scripture. So the original languages of Scripture, the, the Greek New Testament and the Hebrew Old Testament, which has portions of it, are in Aramaic, like in, in uh, Ezra and Daniel. Daniel 2, chapters 2 through 7 is in Aramaic. And there's other portions, but it's primarily in Hebrew. And so the original languages of Scripture, not, no modern translation, including the King James, uh, was inspired by God. And uh, there are some King James only that would bid to, uh, would, uh, would like to uh, uh, um, go against me on that and have. But uh, they're in error because uh, what the, this definition and what Paul says in 2 Timothy 3, 16 through 17, what Paul, uh, Peter says in first, 2 Peter 1, 20 and 21 uh, is contradicts the, uh, it does not apply to the King James at all or any modern translation. So the original languages of Scripture, we pointed out, contain the very words of God and therefore bear the authority of divine authorship. Inspiration is God revealing himself through the word of God, which is his mind, whereas revelation is God using a vehicle. So this leads us to this, these several points here. Inspiration is the means God used to reveal himself through the Bible, whereas revelation is concerned with the divine origin of Scripture and the giving of truth to men. So when somebody comes out, you usually see this in the Pentecostal movement, I got revelation from God. Well, technically, you didn't. You might have got insight from God on a passage, but the revelation comes from God, and it's found in the original languages of Scripture. So while I use revelation, I always use it to what the human authors put down in Scripture under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. So that's very important. And so what we, the best we can get is insight and illumination, as we'll say, into what we, the revelation that was already given to us through the human authors of Scripture. Let me repeat that. You and I as Christians have the gift of the Holy Spirit, 
And so we don't get revelation. We get insight or illumination, we call it in theology, with regards to the revelation that we already have that's found in the scriptures. The human authors of scriptures who were inspired by God the Holy Spirit. So again, inspiration is the means God used to reveal himself through the Bible, whereas, uh, which, uh, whereas uh, revelation is concerned with the divine origin of scripture and the giving of truth to men. Now, next thing, interpretation. Interpretation emphasizes the understanding of God's revelation to man. And through revelation, God reveals truth, and by interpretation, man understands the truth. Now, every step of the way, the Holy Spirit's involved. The Holy Spirit was involved in the inspiration of Scripture. The Holy Spirit is involved in the, uh, the illumination with regards to the revelation that we already have in Scripture. But also, the Holy Spirit must be involved in interpretation. Uh, I've said this before many times. Anytime I study the Scriptures, I uh, enter into prayer as to what I'm going to study. Okay, so I'm working on Obadiah for, uh, for us on Sundays, but I'm also, for Winston Bible Ministries, working on Ephesians. I was just working on Ephesians 1.17. I'm totally uh, at the mercy of God the Holy Spirit to help me understand what I'm reading and understand, because it's spiritual phenomena. It's spiritual phenomena. It's, yes, it's a, 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 God, a book that was inspired by God, and it's a human book, but it's also a book that's divine. So in order to understand it, you have to have the third member of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit, helping you understand what you're reading and understanding and gain you, guide you in the application. So it's the same thing with teaching it. Uh, God is not going to be able to use me if I'm not filled with the Spirit and, and following the guidance and direction of the Holy Spirit. And you can't understand and make proper application unless it's through the ministry of the Holy Spirit. So interpretation... And it's very important. Interpretation emphasizes the understanding of God's revelation to man. And through revelation, God reveals truth, and by interpretation, man understands truth. So when we talk about inter interpretation, one of the things that I see really, uh, really needing, we really need, especially in America, in even in so-called doctrinal ministries, it's fascinating to me that the, some of these guys that are behind pulpits, that... They've never taken a class or read a book on hermeneutics in their life, it seems. Like, because they're pulling stuff out of their hat. And other, it's just ridiculous. Uh, because they, you know, they don't, there's certain principles that you follow. Like, you've heard of the ICE principle. Well, you know, that's, you know, when the theme, when Bob came up, Bob Theme came up with that, that was out there already. He just put it to different uh, vocabulary, but everybody knew what he talked about. Isagog, he's talking about the historical context of the book, historical, grammatical, uh, literal interpretation of the scriptures. That's an old Protestant thing that uh, goes all the way back. Isagogics, you know, categorical comparing scripture with scripture, exegetical, uh, going back to the original languages and, and interpreting the text. So, uh, and Isagogics, again, being the historical uh, background of the, pa uh, the passage. That's very important understanding the scriptures. Because the Bible was, for instance, let's take history. The Bible is written in history. And so it's very important if like you're going to do like uh, um, Ephesians. Well, you've got to know something about the Roman Empire. And you know about that time of, of history. And it's very important. And you need to know the language that, what's being written uh, in, in, in Koine Greek. So only, and then you've got to compare scripture with scripture because you don't want to build a doctrine over one line of scripture, which is what the cults do. And false teachers do. So false teachers, you can always tell a false teacher, first of all, they got 
tons of false doctrine, but they also don't know what they're doing when it comes to the scriptures. It's like uh, it's like a brain. Uh, it's like somebody trying to uh, a, a plumber or someone like me trying to uh, to uh, perform brain surgery on somebody. You know, we don't want we, we you know uh, we don't want to have somebody working on our brain if we need some we have surgery need surgery in our brain or some doctor to take cancer out of our bodies or whatever it is physically. We want to entrust it to somebody who's been trained and knows what they're doing, right? But when it comes to the Word of God, we got people off the pulpits who are abusing the souls of their congregations and Christians and giving them false doctrine and interpreting th the interpretations are all over the place. And the perfect example that I gave out to you recently is like 1 John. 1 John, you don't have to confess your sins. 1 John was written, in, they say that the 1 John was written to non-believers. And I said, Really? I said, there's little children, he says, all over the book. And so, so John is not going to call an unbeliever little children. And you're telling me if they, he's written to unbelievers there in 1 John, so then he's telling them to confess their sins, the unbeliever? How does that jive with the rest of Scripture? So these guys are backtracking. They're, they're, they're just going all over the place. Jim and I went after these guys on that. And, uh, and they're still out there, and it's, it's even still, it, it, they're even picking up adherents. And these guys, it all stems from the fact they have no clue what they're doing. They don't know how to interpret. Now, one of the things I try to do, I've done it with Winston Bible Ministries from the beginning, is I try to show you how to interpret. Like, you've watched me uh, do uh, talk about context. Pay attention to the context. That's why you see me when I did Obadiah. I'll read the whole book. So we, look, we can do that. If we go to a bigger book like Genesis, we'll read the chapter or whatever the paragraph in which the verse we're, find, we're working on at the time. Okay? Always study a passage, the verse you're working in, in the context, the paragraph that you find it. That's very important. You don't have to know Greek or Hebrew to know that. Just read your English Bibles and follow the context in which the person is, 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 uh, is, uh, is, is um, uh, the passage is in. Another example is uh, the whole thing with egalitarianism. Uh, there's, uh, there, uh, there are, there's, these people are out there today. It's the, it's, they're influenced by feminism, and they're saying that they use Galatians 3:28. You know, uh, we're all equal in Christ, male or female. Well, they Jew or Gentile, slave or free. So they say, well, that means we're now we're all equal, and we, you know, so therefore men don't have authority over women. And there's no such women can be pastors now, and they use that one passage, which they take out of context. And Paul's not even talking about equality in that sense. He's saying, uh, he's going back in context to the, pra the, the promises to Abraham in you, your seed, Abraham, which was Christ. He says, Galatians three thirteen, all the nations will be blessed. And then when he says what he says in Galatians three twenty eight, there's neither male nor female, slave or free, Jew or Gentile, all are, all are one in Christ. Well, he's saying. The promise is being fulfilled in our day and age. All the nations are being blessed, whether you're male or female, Jew or Gentile, slave or free. But these egalitarians, they take one verse, that's all they really have, because all over the place it says women are to be subjected to the man, and as to under Christ, and the man is to love his wife like Christ loved the church. But this is the kind of false doctrine starts from bad interpretation. So I say this, go back to my point on the board, interpretation is critical. Because we're not going to be able to apply anything if we get a bad interpretation coming from, from, the, from the pulpit. Okay? So you also need to know about principles of interpretation. You don't have to be a biblical scholar. You just have to pay attention to context. You do it all the time. You read the newspaper online or you read an email from your boss. Some of you are in very technical fields. Engineers are all over the place. 
Okay, and so you pay attention to context. Uh, you know, um, for instance, when like like Scott was a was a police officer, there's things when he in his job he had to pay attention to what was going on when when he had certain uh, regulations that he had to follow. It's everywhere. Everybody's jobs have something like that, and you pay attention to context and what you're reading, whatever the decree came down. But when it comes to the Bible. People come up with these crazy ideas how to interpret the Bible, and it's not following correct hermeneutical principles. You wouldn't read a book that way. You wouldn't read your email from your boss the way some of these people study their Bible. And one of the, the craziest things I see going on now and hearing about, and I've had some people I know that I love that we were involved in this, they go to somebody's house, and they pass. They have a passage of Scripture, and you, Aunt Millie's going to interpret this week what James 2.5 has to say. Really? And then it passes around, and next week Billy Bob is doing it, and then Susie Q's doing it. My, my apologies to Bobby, Billy Bob and Susie Q. But that's the kind of stuff that's going on, and nobody knows what they're talking about. They have no pastor, they have no leadership. The, God gave the church men with the gift of teaching. Why aren't you using it? And these people just, whatever, whatever makes them feel good, so basically they just. You just cherry pick stuff and they just say things that's going to make everybody feel good even though the passage might be rebuking the people in the, in the, right in the, in the room but they don't want to go, go near those passages so very important interpretation is very critical it emphasizes the understanding of God's revelation to man and through revelation God reveals truth and by interpretation man understands this truth furthermore Interpretation deals with understanding the revelation provided in Scripture, whereas illumination refers to the ministry of the Holy Spirit, helping the believer to understand this revelation from God in the Scriptures. Uh, uh, hold your place. Go to Ephesians. Great passage. Go to Ephesians. I'm actually working on this passage. It's so funny. Ephesians chapter 1, and let's go to, uh, let's start at uh, verse 1. Ephesians 1.1. 1, 1. Ephesians 1.1. 1, 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to God's holy people in Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will, to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves, Christ. In him, Christ, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us. With all wisdom and understanding, he made known to us the mystery of his will, which was through Paul and the other apostles' apostolic teaching, according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ. And that mystery is, of his will is now in the New Testament. To be put into effect, verse 10, when the times reach their fulfillment, to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. In him, Christ, we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him, who works out everything in a conformity with the purpose of his will, in order that we, who were the first to put our hope in Christ, might be for the praise of his glory. And you were also included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, 
the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal and the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. There's a tri tri uh, triadic possession uh, pattern there, as we pointed out in our series on the Trinity. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit all mentioned in that uh, doxology, that preface to the letter in verses 3 through 14. Each member of the Trinity is mentioned. Each member of the Trinity is mentioned in the next, in the prayer that Paul, uh, uh, because of what he says here, now he's going to intercede in prayer for them after hearing about their faith in Jesus at justification and they're practicing the community to love one another. Now he's going to intercede in prayer for them and he mentions each member of the Trinity here. So it goes on to say in verse 15, for this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all God's people, I have not stopped giving thanks for you. Remembering you in my prayers, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father, okay, the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom of, in, in revelation so that you may know him better. It's talking about insight into the scriptures. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people and his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is the same as the mighty strength so he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. So he's praying in verse 17 that the Holy Spirit would give them insight into the revelation that he, Paul, has received by the Spirit. It's now in our New Testament. So to give him, in, uh, he wants them to have insight, and it only can come through the Holy Spirit. So go now to 1 Corinthians. Chapter 2. 1 Corinthians chapter 2. And let's start at uh, verse 1. We'll start there. 1 Timothy, uh, first second, uh, first Corinthians chapter 2, verse 1. Paul writes, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 1. He says, And so it was with me, brothers and sisters. When I came to you, I did not come with eloquence or human wisdom as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God. For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I came to you in weakness with great fear and trembling. My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power. Notice again his dependence upon the Holy Spirit in his ministry, so that your faith might not rest on human wisdom, but on God's power. We do, however, speak a message of wisdom among, among the mature, but not the wisdom of this age, or the rulers, or of the rulers of this age, who are coming to nothing. No, we declare God's wisdom, a, a mystery that has been hidden, and that God destined for our glory before time began. None of the rulers of this age understood it, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. However, as it is written, what no eye has seen, what no ear has heard, and what no mind has conceived, the things God has prepared for those who love him. These are the things God has revealed to us by his Spirit. The Spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. This is why you need the Holy Spirit as a pastor and as a layperson when you study the Scriptures. Prayerful meditation upon the scripture, so you can be just a little prison. Father, help me through the Spirit to understand this passage. 
please. And I always say, you know, with me, it's always, help me to guide me, and empower me, and actually translate and exegete and do the exegesis and exposition of this book or whatever passage I'm working on. And when I come up here to, before tonight, several times before I come up here, the different, uh, when I, in the morning, and then and, and the, before I leave the house, I, I always, I'm always praying about this night's, wherever I'm at, Sunday morning, or wherever I am, or what's your Bible says, before I go up and teach, that the Spirit would use me mightily. Because they know I'm, I'm useless then. I'm just like a, a you know, a, skin and bones up here, whatever, and I'm not doing really and I really skin and bones, I wish I was, but you know, I'm, it's just, a, you know, a hunk of flesh up here, you know, I want to be, you want to be used by the Holy Spirit, so everything is dependent upon the Spirit so he says in verse 11, for who knows a person's thoughts, except their own spirit within them in the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God, so the Word of God is God's thoughts, and listen to me we'll never know God exhaustively you know what I mean by that? Totally. You'll know, we can only know God to a certain point, okay? We're always good because he's eternal, okay? No one knows God exhaustively, but the Holy Spirit who is God knows God exhaustively. So is the Son and, okay, the Father. They all know each other exhaustively. They're, they're the they're member, three members of the Trinity, right? They're all divine, they're all divine uh, in nature, in character. You and I are creatures saved by the grace of God, but we'll never know God exhaustively which is uh, kind of interesting and kind of exciting when you think about it. And, uh, you know, so we got, God is, the Holy Spirit is given to us as our true teacher and mentor to help us and guide us in, in, in understanding the scriptures and making proper application. So then he says in verse 12 again, what we've received is not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, so that we may understand what is freely given us. And this, what's freely given to us is in the scriptures. And we saw that in Ephesians, chapter 1, verses 3 through 14. Paul's talking about uh, fathers electing and predestinating us in eternity past, in verses 3 through 6. Then he's talking about the redemptive work of Christ on the cross in verses 7 through 12 of Ephesians, chapter 1. And then 13 and 14, he's talking about the Holy Spirit who was given to us as a down payment of our, our inheritance, of the resurrection body and rewards for faithful service, okay? The Holy Spirit is indwelling us for a reason. He's the, he's the operating power in our, of God in our lives, okay? He's inspired the scriptures. He helps us understand the scriptures. He guides us in the application of the scriptures. And he reproduces the character of Christ through the scriptures, which is called the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5, 22 through 23. So he says in verse 13, this is what we speak, not in words taught us by human wisdom, but in words taught by the Spirit explaining spiritual realities with spirit-taught words. That's what the pastor needs to do. So, uh, explain spirit, to the spirit spiritual realities with spirit-taught words. And you have to be filled with the spirit as well to benefit if I'm on track with the Holy Spirit and, and, and following his guidance and direction. Verse 14, the person without the spirit does not accept the things that come from the spirit of God. That's the unbeliever. Here's another thing. If you're a believer out of fellowship with God, you're not gonna be able to understand the things of God if you're out of fellowship. So if you're out of fellowship, you're grieving the Holy Spirit, right, Ephesians 4.30, or you're quenching the Holy Spirit. Was that 1 Thessalonians 5.19? And so uh, quenching the Spirit's talking about the work of, of the Spirit trying to conform us in the image of Christ. And the grieving the Spirit, it's an anthropomorphism trying to tell us how God feels about it when we are out of fellowship and we're sinning, okay, living in sin. So the Spirit, again, is in every step of the way, all right? So remember, this is the other thing. You know, 
this is, the Spirit is our authority. You know, Jesus sits to the right hand of the Father, you know, he said, and, and so he sends the Spirit as our paraclete, as our advocate with the Father, and but he's now trying to mediate the person of Christ while, he's, while we're studying the Bible. Or when I'm teaching the Word of God to you, he's trying to mediate the person of Christ through the Spirit going through me. And then he's trying to do, do that through all of you. So that's why, you know, when we're all in, fel in fellowship with God and filled with the Spirit, and we're in fellowship with God and filled with the Spirit, we're obeying God, the Holy Spirit who speaks to us through the Word of God, right? God's present with us. He's right now present with us, the Trinity. And then, then you have, you know, if you could just imagine the Father sitting on the throne, the Son at the right hand, and the Holy Spirit's working through us all, okay? And the elect angels are watching. And, you know, the Word of God, you know, when you plant, you know, you never know what the Spirit's doing in the audience. Planting a seed in a certain area. Someone's having a certain problem with an area of sin. Someone's having a, 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 this problem or this issue. Or someone's looking for a certain encouragement here. Or someone needs uh, some affirmation or assurance in another area. And, and so the Holy Spirit's doing all that stuff. Depends on who you are, where you are at, in, in, as an individual in your area of spiritual growth. But the Spirit's doing something. And, you know, you know, don't underestimate the work of the Holy Spirit. You know, he's planting seeds. You never know what that could turn into. You never know what you could turn You never know what God's trying to do in your life. He's, I mean, we know he's going to try to conform us into the image of Christ. That's what he's trying to do. If we let him do that, I mean, it's just amazing. You know, so the farmer, I mean, you know, I was in Iowa for 18 years, and they would, you know, they would use combines to plant, you know, the corn and the soybean they used. Those are the two big major products. And, you know, you plant, and then, you know, you plant it in May, Sometimes they go a little bit earlier, but probably mid, mid to late May, and uh, they would go and do it. And by the time you get, to, you know, you know, by June it's like, you know, knee high by the Fourth of July. But no, today it's like over my head. The corn was so high. By the time it gets the Fourth of July, gotta have a good truck crop. But you'd never know that little seed, what did, what it turned into. And that's why it's the same thing in the spiritual life. And I'll tell you right now, to be encouraged. No matter what you're struggling with, okay? We're all struggling with different things. In the end of the day, you're going to be perfected. You're going to get a resurrection body, and God knows your faithfulness, and you're going to be rewarded for that faithfulness wherever you're at. So just be encouraged that he's going to complete the work that he started in us. Philippians 1.6. Always remember that. He is faithful. He will carry it through, and just make yourself available to God by staying in fellowship with him, short accounts, confess your sin immediately, and then ask God to help you in anything you in understanding the scriptures, get better at interpreting the scriptures, get into better at applying it. I'm always asking God to help me get better at applying it. You know, we're all, that's the key, key thing. I want to be able to apply it, okay? So Paul says then in verse 15, the person with the spirit, well, actually, wait, let, let me finish off verse 14. Uh, the spirit, the person without the spirit, does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God, but considers them foolishness and cannot understand them because they are discerned only through the Spirit. Okay? The person with the Spirit makes judgment about all things, but such a person is not merely subject to human judgments, for who has known the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. You and I have the mind of Christ in Scripture, and the question is, can we get it into our heads? We be immersed in Scripture, what in our thinking. It's so it, it's a battle. Let's, let, the mind. This is the battle in the inject conflict. Okay, the colonel had it right on the button. The soul is the battleground in the angelic conflict. Satan's trying to fill your mind 
with all kinds of stuff, whether it's pornography, lies, you know, that stuff on television. You know, watch what you put in your head, right? It's constant battle. We're hit from all sides at work, out in the street, you can do billboards. I mean, you're just playing. Everything is just trying to appeal to your flesh, your sin nature. And what you put in your head, the battle is can you get the word of God in your head and can you keep, can you, can you keep the thoughts of Christ in the spirit, the thoughts of the spirit going in your mind at all times. And it takes a long time to get, you know, the best we could ever do is habitual basis. No one's going to, we're not going to be perfect at this. And growing up spiritually takes a long time and it takes a lot of discipline. And ask God, another thing is I always ask God, give me discipline and applying and, and, and being practicing these things and discipline in my studies and everything because that's everything, okay? We have the mind of Christ, though. That's everything. That's, that's half the battle right there. Now it's just a question of pouring it into our heads. So, back to my point on the board. In- interpretation deals with understanding the revelation provided in Scripture, whereas illumination refers to the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Paul's talking about that there in that passage in 1 Corinthians 2. So, Interpretation, again, deals with understanding the revelation provided in Scripture, whereas illumination refers to the ministry of the Holy Spirit helping the believer to understand this revelation from God in the Scriptures. And so in Revel- and so, let me stop there, back it up here. There, very important. There are some passages that are very difficult. Okay? Don't get bogged down in those. Okay? The Scripture, the, the big... The big message of the Bible is easy to understand, okay? Now, there's some passages that are extremely difficult, no doubt about it, but don't get bogged down and, dis- and, and, uh, and, uh, and get discouraged about that. Ask God, hey, help me understand that, and I'll wait for, your, I'll wait for you to, it might be 10 years, but I, there, there's some things I didn't get an answer to until like five years, 10 years later. I was like, oh, finally, I get that. I understand that, like really understand it a lot better. And maybe 10 years from now, I'll know it even better than I know now. You know? I remember reading, um, I remember reading Romans, you know, the book of Romans for the first time, like in Romans 6. What is he talking about here? It's like, I'm going back to the Gospel of John, you know? Or going somewhere first John. Paul's like a heavy-duty, heavy hitter. No wonder Peter said at the end of his life, at the end of 2 Peter, he said in chapter 3, some things in Paul are hard to understand. Okay? So you're not alone. So when I taught the book of Romans, I was always using that. Don't feel, don't be discouraged. But don't get sidetracked. The things you know, okay, good. Build off of that. And ask God to help you with the passage. I don't really understand this, uh, this passage, Lord, the way I need to. I think I should. So you pray for it, and, you know, you keep working on it. Like, you know, far as I'm concerned, a lot of these things are already out there with some of the commentaries you get out there and these Bible, um, these study Bibles. You can learn a lot and gain a lot of understanding really quick with just getting a good commentary and go through the Bible in, 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 a, in a year or whatever. And that's what I used to do. But, um, and get a really good foundation of the whole scripture. Get the story of the Bible, okay? The whole, what's the message of the Bible? And then, you know, what are the different books? The book, different books are like trees in the forest, an analogy. So in Revelation, we have the vertical reception of God's truth. Human authors of scripture received it, all right? While in inspiration, we have the horizontal communication of that revelation accurately to others. So Paul, when he wrote Ephesians or Corinthians, 1 Corinthians, the Holy Spirit guided him in, 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 in writing down what he did. 
And he did it with perfect accuracy under the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Paul didn't change his, word, his language. God took him where he was, at, at where he was in that light, at point, portion of his life, and he was able to you, com, uh, communicate through Paul perfectly. And this is what he did with all the off, uh, other writers of uh, human authors of Scripture. You know, God could create the time matter space continuum, okay, and hold it together with his word, okay, his, with his omnipotence. I think he could get, I think he could communicate to human beings and get it across through human beings. No problem. And he, he did. So, and again, in Revelation, we have the vertical reception of God's truth, while in inspiration, we have the horizontal communication of that revelation accurately to others. So, the Word of God, in its original languages, is the vehicle, we said, by which God reveals himself to mankind. God wants to communicate with the human race. And he's done that. And we'll see, he's done it in different ways. He's done it in different ways. He's doing it in different ways. He's communicating with the unbeliever through their conscience and through creation. And with us, he can communicate through providential circumstances and, of course, his word. And 2,000 years ago, God became, the word of God became flesh. The word to communicate with perfectly who God was. He came to explain God. As you saw Jesus speak and walk, everything he did, you were looking at God in the flesh, explaining the character and nature of God. So we see, in other words, inspiration is the process by which God worked through the human authors without destroying their individual personalities, vocabularies, and writing styles to produce divine, authoritative, inerrant writings. Now, as I said just a few moments ago, God reveals himself to man, and he does it in at least four ways. Okay, One, by nature, in creation. Uh, hold your place, look at Psalm, the book of Psalms, look at Psalm 19, famous passage. Psalm 19, verse 1. Psalm 19, verse 1, for the director of music, a psalm of David. It was the lyrics to the song. We don't know what the music was. As I said before, the Old Testament Israel, they were singers. In fact, when they went to Babylon, the exiles, the Babylonians used to make them sing about Jerusalem. They just destroyed it. And they oh, geez. try to rub it in, right? They had it. They, they were singers. Jesus sang on the night he went to the cross. Read the, he went out and they sang a hymn. And Jesus could sing. I don't know what his voice looked like, sounded like. I think, you know, I think, uh, what was that? In the, in the Chosen, there's a great scene. He's playing with an old friend from Nazareth and he's playing some game with the ball thrown back. And it's like, and you could just, everybody's like going, if I was Jesus, I'd pull a fast, I'd pull a fastball right through the guy. He'd never know what hit him. You know, because he's God, he's the son of God. He, he's so gentle. Jesus was so gentle because he could, at any time, he could just blow it by him faster than no one Ryan could ever throw the ball. It was so funny. I'm like, but God's very, you know, the Lord was very, God is gentle, okay? So uh, we see that David, he was, you know, the Lord could sing, and he sang a hymn on the night when he went out to the, the, to the, uh, the, the cross. In fact, uh, it was it Kirk and I were talking, and, um, and, and Scott about, uh, like, like in the Catholic Church, they do antiphonal. What, you know, one side sings here, and then the priest, you know, priest sings, and then the, the, uh, the, the, uh, the congregation sings back. It's called antiphonal. When Jesus was coming into Jerusalem, he said, blessed be the, who comes in the name of the Lord, that was antiphonal. When he, they were, one side of the crowd was going this, and the other crowd was answering. It must have been magnificent to hear when he came into Jerusalem. 
to present himself as the Messiah, which of course they rejected him. So this is a song, this is lyrics. So, and you know, Colossians 3.16, the church taught with the word of God, with the sing, singing through the, taught the word of God through music. So Psalm 19 verse one, uh, the heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day, they pour forth speech. Night after night, they reveal knowledge, knowledge of God. He's a pretty smart guy. <laughs> they have no speech. They use no words. No sound is heard from them. Isn't that something? Yet their voice goes out into all the earth. It's pretty. You know, I used to look, I love, I love when people say they're atheists. I think, yeah. And this is how I got my, one of my family members to not be an atheist anymore. I said, you're going to tell me that all this it's just by natural processes and just, do you know how much, what the odds are of this life on earth even being? All the things that have to come together, the probability somebody's done it, it's like out, outrageous. You're going to tell me it's too complex, I said. And I said, you're too complex. You're different. I'm different. We got different fingerprints. My eye, Everything is different, but we're, we're, we're so much alike but we're so different, and you are soul, the invisible you. Nobody's quite like you, right? And they just said, yeah. And from that point on, they never were an atheist. They never gave me getting any atheist baloney anymore because they knew how ridiculous that was. Creation is a pretty big effect. There has to be, this just didn't happen by accident. Somebody really smart knew what they were doing. There it is. I mean, just look at the wood that was used to build this thing, this place, and the floors. And then the, 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 the people, their arms and their legs and their minds to figure it out. To do how we're going to design it this way. I mean, come on. We're, that, we're, we're amazing. We are created in the image of God. We're evidence that there is a God. We are ourselves. So it says in verse 4, Yet their voice goes out unto all the earth, their words to the ends of the world, and the heavens God has pitched a tent for the sun. It's like a bridegroom coming out of his chamber, like a champion rejoicing to run his course. Hey, just consummated his marriage. He comes out like a champion, all right. Hey, all right. I had sex for the first time, you know. <laughs> so then it says in verse 6, it rises at one end of the heavens and makes its circuit to the other. Nothing is deprived of its warmth. So the first way that God talks to all of us in the human race is by nature, by creation. Also conscience. Uh, Romans 2, 14 and 15. Uh, quickly, I don't want to spend, I want to move along here, but look at Romans 2. Look at verse 14. Look, actually, start at verse, look at verse 12. Romans 2, 12. We'll start there. All who sin apart from the law will also perish apart from the law. And all who sin under the law will be judged by the law. The Jew will be judged by the law, and the Gentile who doesn't have the law in written form. But the, the Gentile does have the law, the Ten Commandments, written into the the, the soul. Then he says, For it is not those who hear the law who are righteous in God's sight, but it is those who obey the law who be declared righteous. Indeed, when Gentiles who do not have the law, they didn't get it in written form, do by nature the things required by the law, like the Ten Commandments, right? They are law for themselves, even though they do not have the law. Then he says, They show that the requirements of the law, love your neighbors, yourself, love God with all your heart, soul, mind, strength, you don't have to have any gods before me. They showed that the requirements of the law are written on their hearts. And the hearts in the Bible 
is up here in the cabeza, in your brain, your soul. Their conscience is also bearing witness. And their thoughts sometimes accusing them and at other times even defending them. They know there's a Bible. They know there's a God. The atheist can say he's an atheist. He's in denial. He knows there's a God. As it says in Romans 1, he denies this. He suppresses this, even to himself. Okay? He's deceiving himself. So, the other way that God communicates and reveals himself is to the human conscience. Number three, of course, the living word of God. John 1.18, the Lord, the word of God became flesh and dwelt among us, and he came to explain God. 1 Timothy 3.16 talks about that in another way. 1 Corinthians 1.24, Hebrews 1, 1-3. And then lastly, the written word of God, the Bible in its original languages. So God's will, purpose, and plan for your life as a Christian can only be found in the written word of God, not in nature, since nature cannot, one, give information about God's purpose for your life. This is true for the unbeliever, too. What's your purpose in feel like to be a son of God through faith in Jesus Christ, to become like Christ? The unbeliever, that's the plan, whether he knows it or not. His first step is to get saved. I need a, I need a savior from God's wrath. That's Jesus. So God's will, purpose, and plan for your life can only be found in the written word of God, not in nature, since nature, one, cannot give information about God's purpose for your life. You know, sitting out in the cornfield, you know, I used to say in Iowa, sitting out in the cornfield and contemplating infinity is not going to help you understand God's purpose for your life. Number two, give, it can't give information about God's will for your life. Three, it, it can't give information about God's plan for your life. Number four, it can't give the way of salvation. So, God's will, purpose, and plan and way of salvation are revealed to us, one, in the written word of God, the gospel, and by the living word of God, Jesus Christ. So the Bible is the written word of God. Jesus is the living word of God. That's why Paul says we have the mind of Christ. So the process goes like this, people. One, revelation is the objective fact of God communicating to mankind. Two, inspiration is the means by which God communicated to mankind. Three, interpretation is the process God has, uh, has uh, is the process of understanding what God has communicated. Let me repeat the, these three steps. One, the process goes like this. Revelation is the objective fact of God communicating to mankind. Two, inspiration is the means by which God communicated to mankind. Number three, interpretation is the process of understanding what God has communicated. Now, the Holy Spirit is in every single step. He's the member of the Trinity, responsible for this revelation, as we saw, since he guided and directed the human authors of Scripture to put down in the original autographs God's complete and connected thought to mankind. 2 Timothy 3, 16 through 17. You can also go in uh, Peter as well, 2 Peter. So the Spirit was the means by which God communicated his will to men, and he's responsible for the inspiration of Scripture, and he is also the one who guides the believer into all truth. He said, Jesus said in, his, uh, in his, um, his upper room discourse in John 13 through 17. So the Spirit was the means by which God communicated his will to men, and he is responsible, the Spirit, for the inspiration of Scripture, and he is also the one who guides the believer in the interpretation of this revelation and helps them to understand it so as to make an application. So another thing, as I said earlier in the evening, Please be patient with God. Don't expect, especially if you're a new believer, do not think that you're going to get this book and you're going to get it. I got it down pat. 
You might get a, you know, sure you get a good idea of it, okay? But don't think you're gonna know everything in one shot in a couple of years, okay? People are spending their whole lives just to know just a little bit about it. God's word is eternal. Eternal. That's pretty deep, okay? You can never know God exhaustively, but you can know God experientially through fellowship and obeying his word, you'll have fellowship with him. And it, you, as, so t the process of conforming the Im us into the image of Christ is a long, difficult process many times. Sometimes we have to fall and before we learn something. Or something we learn the easy way in certain areas and something we have to learn hard ways and God disciplines us and he knows just the right things to do. He's the perfect parent. So be patient with God. Because I've seen people, Christians, they get very frustrated if they can't understand something, a passage, right away. You know? They don't want to put the, they don't want to be patient and do the work and actually dig into the passage. And maybe and a lot of times it's so lazy that they don't even want to try to look into the passage and get some helps like a commentary or ask their pastor. Instead, they just they just get frustrated and ah, I can't, you know, they give up. How stupid that is. They just cheat themselves. Now, I want to close with this. Verbal plenary inspiration of scripture. What is that? Well, let's take first of all plenary. P-L-E-N-A-R-Y for those who are on the podcast. The expression plenary inspiration expresses the view of biblical insp inspiration that contends that God is the ultimate author of the Bible in its entirety. Let me repeat that. Plenary inspiration expresses the view of biblical ins inspiration that contends that God is the ultimate author of the Bible in its entirety. This means that God's superintending work in inspiration extends to the whole Bible and to each part of the Bible. In fact, 2 Timothy that we were in earlier, it actually at the beginning says, not all scripture, actually it's each and every portion of scripture. We're gonna go dig into that passage in the original Greek. In fact, um, I, gave you that I gave you that translation earlier. It means each and every portion of scripture. Not just certain parts, but all portions of scripture. Every portion, okay? And that's why some people like to cherry pick. You know, no, no, don't cherry pick. Pick out the stuff you like. You know, what they says about like Jesus, that he's, the, he, you know, he's gonna pour out his wrath on a Christ-rejecting world. Some people don't like that revelation. And some, they love the, 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 the Jesus who died on the cross for us, okay? So, every, so when we talk about plenary inspiration, this means that God's superintending work in inspiration extends to the whole Bible and to each part of the Bible. That's why we should study both the Old and New Testament. Some, some people uh, that uh, they're considered big time you know, Bible teachers in America, they don't even study the Old Testament. How in the world does they, he get to be like the top guy in, in Christianity as an interpreter, one of the top guys? He doesn't even te study, teach the, uh, the Old Testament. You gotta be kidding me. So we see that plenary inspiration, plenary inspiration guarantees that all that the church has come to affirm as scripture is both authoritative for our lives and helpful for Christian belief and practice. So the Bible, we touched upon this in our last class, the Bible portrays historical statements and details unknown to man and unconfirmed by human records. Uh, the creation of the time matter space continuum. Nobody was around for that. God had it through the Spirit reveal it to us in His Word in Genesis. Inspiration guarantees the accuracy of these events, like the fall of Satan. Who was there for the fall of Satan? I wasn't. Okay? 
but God was. <laughs> and he could tell you exactly what Satan said. And, and, we, and not, he gave us exactly what we needed to hear. We don't know the depth of the conversation or what on, went on when God brought him in, okay, and called to account. But we, what we need to know is there for us in perfect accuracy in Isaiah 14 and Ezekiel 28. And as I, in Isaiah 14 and Ezekiel 28, we have those two accounts of Satan's fall. Satan existed a long time ago before human beings were around. Yet we have in writing, with perfect accuracy, all that God wants us to know about Satan's fall. There are several accounts of the creation of the universe, and these are found in the scriptures from Genesis to Isaiah, and also Colossians 1, for that matter. We would not, have no way of knowing these events were, in, were it not for the fact that God himself provided the information through inspiration so that we might know something about eternity past. The Bible is not a history book, but it does contain many historical accounts. And all of these are necessary and are accurate. And they form the basis and background for the communication of Bible doctrine. There have been many archaeological discoveries which demonstrate the perfect accuracy of the scriptures. Someday we'll do a study on that. It's fascinating. Some places in the Bible have direct quotations from God. And sometimes God would make known future events which man had no way of foreseeing or understanding at the time of their revelation. Now, examples of prophecy. Number one, destruction of the powerful Edomites that we talked about on, on Sunday in Obadiah. Okay? That was prophecy fulfilled in history. The first 16 verses. Uh, all the things that were in Daniel chapter uh, 11, 1 through 35, which, which have basically talk a big, huge portion of scripture, a, a portion of history in minute detail about rulers coming and going and all kinds of stuff. Antiochus Epiphanes IV, all right? Stuff what he did. So these prophecies, like the, the, the destruction of the Edomites, the fall of Tyre, I touched upon that Sunday, when Nebuchadnezzar took Tyre. It was Ezekiel 28, I think it is. And then the person and work of Christ. Psalm 22 and Isaiah 53, the suffering servant passage in Isaiah. It's fascinating. Okay? So these prophecies were fulfilled perfectly and future prophecies for the tribulation, the second advent of Christ, the millennium, and not mentioned the rapture, will be fulfilled perfectly also. So the record of human or satanic lies in the Bible does not mean that falsehood is truth. Just because God reports the lies of Satan or somebody else's lie, a demon's lie or something, doesn't mean that God's saying, okay, I agree with falsehood. He's just reporting the lies when he does that, like the lies of Satan, like in Genesis chapter 3. So the record of human or satanic lies in the Bible does not mean that falsehood is true, and inspiration guarantees the accuracy of these lies, such as the devil's lies in Genesis 3, 1 through 5. So the book of Ecclesiastes, for instance, it re reveals human viewpoint. God doesn't agree with it. He's using Solomon who would take these t different approaches. Uh, one of the best studies I've ever seen on, on this was uh, Pastor Bob McLaughlin actually worked on you know, his, uh, the, the, the book for that when, early on when it first was there. But he did a great study on Ecclesiastes. It's basically you know, human viewpoint and how to deal with life. So at the end of it, he had all these, you know, I'm going to make, I'm going to, I'm going to never withhold all the women in the world for me. And then I'm going to drink and I'm going to, I'm going to do this and I'm going to do that. He's trying all these tests and nothing gave him contentment or happiness or fulfillment. And then at the end of the day, he says, at the end of the day, it's, it's do the commands of God. Okay, at the end of the book. 
And so just basically, Ecclesiastes is basically showing a life devoid of God for direction and purpose and fulfillment. That's what Ecclesiastes is all about. But it's in Scripture. doesn't mean God agrees with this viewpoint that Solomon had, but it's there because he wants to show you. Learn from the smartest, one of the wisest guys in the ancient world. Look what he found. Why go through the, learn it the hard way or learn it the easy way? A lot of people could learn it the easy way if you just read Solomon. Because he was like kind of a latter-day, uh, way back, uh, Elvis Presley kind of guy, or whatever, you know, the, uh, all these crazy millionaires that we have today that, that live high off the hog, and, and they're sleeping around with every Tom, Dick, and Harry there is. And, I mean, Tom, Dick, and Harry. So, so ver- let's, 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 let's close with this. So we put it all together. We talk about verbal plenary inspiration. So verbal signifies the words of the original languages of Scripture, whereas plenary means full or complete as opposed to partial. Thus, we see that verbal plenary inspiration expresses the idea that each and every word in the original languages of Scripture are inspired by God, who gave full expression to his thoughts in the original languages of Scripture. Now, may I say something before we close? I say original languages of Scripture, not in the modern translations. Listen to me carefully. In the modern translations today, you've got the Word of God. Okay? You've got the Word of God. You've got the Word of God. When you're reading an NIV, you're reading, because I've delved into this myself. I looked at the, original, the translations of certain books. I went through an exhausted deal. Yeah, they got it. I don't, you don't have to hear that from me. You've got all these, they do these, these translations on committees. And these people are, have these gift of teaching and wisdom, and they, they bang out these translations. They're unbelievable. They keep getting better and better. So you got the word of God. But when it comes to verbal plenary inspiration, we're talking about the original languages of Scripture, okay? So we close with this. Verbal plenary inspiration expressed the idea that each and every word in the original languages of Scripture are inspired by God who gave full expression to his thoughts in the original languages of Scripture. I always tell the kids in the prep school years ago, this book is God's love letters to you. How much... When, you, when, you, when you're in love, if you've ever been in love, I was in love once, and you write us, I used to, I was a girl I was in love with, the only girl I was ever in love with, and I would write a song for her. I was expressing my feelings. Everybody does it when they get married. You know, I'm sure even Kirk was writing love letters to Mary, you know, and, and he's like, he's expressing his feelings toward Mary, okay? And Pastor Peak, when he was first fell in love with his, uh, with Gail, and uh, I love with my, my grand, my mother's father, who she never met, and her mother, who she, well, she, her father died before she was five, and her mother died before five. She was orphaned at, like, at like four years old, five years old. We have the letters that he was writing in, in, in Germany in World War I to my grandmother. They had beautiful handwriting. This is a man writing. It was like unbelievable. And he was like, these are love letters. I mean, they were not X-rated. They were, you know, he's expressing his love for her when he get married, when he get back, and have a bunch of kids, and they did. They had nine kids. And uh, typical Catholics. And boom, you know, next thing they had nine kids. But the love letters, well, God, he's got love letters too. He's giving his love letters. He's expressing his love for us in this book. That's why I say, when you get this book and you're reading it, I always make me, you know, when that passage we read in Ephesians, put your name in there. Bill, or whoever your name is out there. Put your name in there, because he's talking to you. He wants you to know, each one of you individually, how he much he loves you and how he's for you, not against you. Thank God 
The Holy Spirit, he, God had the F Father and the Son, had the Holy Spirit inspire the human authors of Scripture to put down a perfect accuracy, their complete and connected thought to us to help us in the devil's world to become like Jesus Christ. What a great God we have. And he shows how great he is by inspiring the human authors of Scripture to put down with perfect accuracy the original language of Scripture, God's complete and connected thought to mankind. Let's close in prayer and then I'll sing us a song and we... Uh, then we're going to go, and us guys, us strong guys, are going to go and move some stuff. <laughs> All right, let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, we just thank you for this time to study your word. We thank you for everyone here this evening, and we pray that this lesson be a great blessing to your people and give them assurance and encouragement and understanding and with regards to the scriptures and help them in their own interpretation of the scripture, in their own private time alone with you in the word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. This is what I wrote a long time ago. It's written to when God, when Adam and Eve fell, God says, where are you? Of course, he knows where they are behind, behind the tree. But um, this is kind of like, I took this, God's always trying to say, where are you, to everybody in the human race. Where are you? So this song is about that.
Jesus. Believe in Lord Jesus and be saved. And be saved. And be saved. You're dismissed.